At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. What an honor it is to be with you this weekend. Thanks for hanging around and uh, not going out of town and being with us uh, this weekend. What a great weekend it has already been. You've heard some updates. How many thank God for 27 kids wanting to get baptized? How many thank God for that? Lord is moving in multi-generational ways and super grateful for it. Hey, this is going to be an incredible week coming up. I hope you get a chance to enjoy it. Uh, The weather hopefully gets a little bit better and you enjoy some food and fun with family and friends and those who you love the most. But I also recognize it's a hard week for those of us who struggle with the social affliction known as FOMO. Anybody ever heard of FOMO before? F-O-M-O? Anybody ever heard of that before? It is the fear of missing out. And this is triggered whenever you see your friends posting uh, vacation pics on uh, social media of all the incredible places they've been, and you're wondering, why in the world did I stay home? I should be on some beach somewhere or in some sunny place. Anybody ever experienced that type of thing before in their hearts? You could tell the truth and shame the devil. You are safe among friends right? But there is some good that comes out of this, at least in the Brooks household, because yesterday as I was sitting there on the edge of my bed thinking about all the vacation places I wish I was at, my oldest daughter walks in and she says, what are you thinking about, Dad? And we just start talking about all the places that we hope to visit one day. But she, in the midst of that conversation, asked me a question and she says, what is your favorite place that you've been to? Your favorite place that you've visited? So far. And I said, it's really hard, sweetie, to boil that down to one place. And I began to reminisce and share with her about the beautiful landscapes that I've seen in places like South Africa and Hawaii. Anybody ever been to a place where it felt like God painted a picture in the sky just for you and it was so gorgeous that you just stood in amazement at the canvas of nature and God's hand in all of it? Anybody ever experienced that? I told her about the wonderful food I've tasted in places like Budapest, Hungary, or the seafood that I had in Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody ever been to those places and enjoyed food there? I told her about incredible art that I experienced in Paris. I talked to her about the history of Ethiopia and the places I've been there, the literature and poetry that I've been able to experience in places like Oxford, England, And man, God has been so good in allowing uh, me and us to see so many great places. But in midst of telling her all of that, we begin to talk about places we long to see. And I share with her that there is a place that I long for more than anywhere else in all the world. More than wanting to go visit Egypt or Rome. I would love to go visit those cities or the great cities of Asia. My heart longs more than any 
anything else to see the eternal city of God, the new Jerusalem that we just sang about. And I hope I'm not alone. Anybody's heart long to see the eternal city of God? And today we get a chance to get a glimpse of that. I want you to open up your Bibles again with me as our team already read the passage that we're going to look at today in Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse number nine. And I'm so grateful for not only those of you who have been longtime members of Woodside, but our guests being here. What a great Sunday it is to gather together, and what an awesome passage God has given us to drink deeply from and to have our hearts reminded of the promise that is ahead for us. Now remember, God gives us, and he gave the original audience this book of Revelation through his apostle John for two major reasons. One was for endurance, because he knew that they were going through persecutions of various kinds. He knew that just like us, there was brokenness in the culture that was around them. He knew that just like us, death seemed all too pervasive. On every side you turn, it seems like death is all around us. And despair at times seems like it's winning. But what John writes is to birth within us, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, a living hope. Not, not some shallow hope that's built on the shifting changes of what's happening in the current events of the world around us. You can't vest your hope in that. It has to be built on something that is unchanging, and that is the unchanging promises of God found in the finished work and person of Jesus Christ. Amen? But he also gives us the book of Revelation. He gave its original audience the book of Revelation so that there can be a longing, a longing for this city, this eternal city of God. And that's the big idea of what we read earlier. What we're going to study now is that you and I should long for and live to enter the city of God. Now, praise God, we know that admission into the city of God is not earned through our good works. Admission into the city of God is not something you book with a travel agency. Admission into the city of God is given to those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. We are saved not by works, but by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone, as explained in the scriptures alone. How many praise God for that truth? Amen. This city is so amazing when we look at it. It is so amazing that it provoked the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he was considering all that he had endured to say this, that I am convinced that this light and momentary affliction cannot be compared to the eternal glory that awaits us. Now, what would cause Paul to declare something that great, that glorious, that amazing? It wasn't that what he was going through would be called light by you and I. He goes on later in the book of 2 Corinthians to explain what he had endured. He had been beaten several times. He had been imprisoned. He had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned almost to death for his testimony to Christ. 
Now, how many would say I wouldn't describe that as light and momentary? How many would say that, right? But Paul certainly describes it as light and momentary. Why? Because he's saying that in comparison of the things that are to come for us. And maybe you've experienced what it's like to go through betrayal, mistreatment, sickness, death, loss, brokenness, injustice. I will tell you, friends, compared to the promise that is on the horizon, that is captured in God's word for us, those afflictions, though they may seem so weighty to us right now, they are light and momentary compared to the promise that God has in store for us who have trusted in Christ Jesus as our Lord. And then... We are told in Matthew's gospel, remember Jesus tells his disciples when teaching them how to pray that we are to pray for this eternal city. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many remember that in the Lord's prayer? You and I should long for this city, this eternal city that we just read about, that we just sang about. We should long for so much that we find ourselves praying often, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let the eternal city come. Lord, our hearts are longing for New Jerusalem. Now the problem is, is that we get so attached to what's happening here on earth that we think the things that we've experienced on earth are the best that God has to offer us. But I hope that your eyes and your heart were enlivened as you read these words with our team to be reminded that there is something far greater than the greatest experiences here on earth. How many know that what we're going to experience in the New Jerusalem is far better than it all. Amen. Man, I long for the day, I long for the day where the church will begin to preach again some stuff that we used to preach that we stopped preaching. You know, there's a lot of stuff we used to preach about we don't preach anymore. How many are old enough to remember when the church used to preach about sin? Anybody remember that? A few of you. Old enough to remember we used to preach about sin and repentance and the things that displease God and turning from sin to Christ for salvation. How many think the church needs to preach about that again? Amen? How many remember when the church used to preach about the return of Christ? before. We used to preach that Jesus is coming back. I remember the first time I heard a pastor preach that Jesus was coming back a little bit over 32 years ago. Here I am just turning 16. I was 15, just turning 16. Hadn't gotten my license yet. And this preacher's going to town about Jesus coming back. And I'm saying, Lord, wait till prom at least. At least I want to go to prom. I want to drive. I want to go to college. Now, 30 years later, I'm saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. I don't care if you miss prom. I just want Jesus to come back. How many think the church needs to preach that again? Come Lord Jesus, right? And then I think we need to preach about heaven again. We stop preaching about heaven. And when we stop preaching about heaven, it causes our affections to be drawn to earth as if that is the best God has to offer. But did you read what I read? 
Verse number nine, the angel comes and said, I want to show you the bride of Christ. Who is the bride of Christ? The bride of Christ is the church. The bride of Christ has always been the church. The, the, the people of God throughout all ages who have put their faith and their trust in him. And then in verse number 10, he takes him and carries him to see the city or the home that has been prepared for the bride. Remember Jesus says in John 14 that I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I am, you will be with me also. This is that place that he has prepared for his bride. And the thing that I want to drive home to you is that there are three elements that, that makes this city so glorious. And for the kids that are taking notes at home, the title is The True, the true Eternal City. The big idea is long for and live to enter the city of God. But the first thing that makes this city so glorious that should cause us to long for it is the layout of the city. Now, now, did you notice the minute details that were given throughout this passage that he actually measures the city? Why would he throw in those measurements? Well, first off, it's for all the engineers in here to say hallelujah because they finally get a sermon that they can relate to, right? So every engineer is like, man, I love that he pulled out his uh, tape measure and measured the whole city, right? Big shout out there. But why does he do it? It's the same reason the Bible records dates and times and the names of kings and cities. It is to say, this is not mythology, this is real. This is a real city. As the apostle Peter writes, we have not believed cunningly devised fables. This is no fable. C.S. Lewis, the great creative writer and Christian apologist who write, wrote so many fantastic and fanciful stories, once was quoted as saying, I know the difference between mythological writing and reality because I write about fantasy. And when I read the Bible, it is no mythology. Friends, this is no mythology. He measures the city precisely so that we might know this is real. In verse number 17, he says these words. He says, he also measured its wall, 144 cubit, cubits by human measurement, by human measurement. This is not just fanciful stuff. He is inviting, just like all of scripture invites us to investigate it, he is inviting us to investigate and to see deeply into this moment. Now, this would have been written for the original audience who would have been trained in the Torah, and they would have known what we call our Old Testament. And if you want to have more of a fuller understanding of what's happening here, read Ezekiel chapters 40 and 41 that lay out the beauty of the city. But every gemstone that you would celebrate are found in this city. It is an amazing city. But what is 
what stands out to me are two words. There are two words that encapsulate the beauty of this city. The first word is found in verse number 10. It is called the holy city of Jerusalem. The first word is holy. The second word is found in verse number 11, that it's having the glory of God. It is holy and it is glorious. And this is what separates it even from the greatest cities that we know this side of heaven. Let's think about the first word, holy. The first word holy means to be set apart, but it also means pure. So that means there's no sin in this city. There is no decay in this city. There's no pollution in this city. With all due respect, this city is not New York. It is not London. It is not Paris. Cities that know so much violence, so much corruption, so much brokenness, God is saying that the new Jerusalem, the eternal city that you and I are promised will have none of those things. You know, our heart longs for utopia. And there have been so many people who have tried to create a utopia on earth. We typically label them as madmen as they get cult followings and sometimes even detach from the rest of culture or civilization to try to build a utopia only to fail at it and to ruin the lives of those who follow them. Every four years or every two years, we're in another election cycle where our politicians will promise us policies that are endeavors to get us closer to experiencing that utopia. And some of those policies will certainly improve our world. A lot of those policies will not. Some will even make it worse. And it's because politicians and false prophets can't deliver on this utopia. Only God delivers the eternal city. Only God brings with him the new Jerusalem. And when he brings that new Jerusalem, there will be no more sickness, no more corruption, no more crime, no more injustice, no more brokenness, no more pollution, no more decay. It will be light and life because God dwells in that city. Praise God. As much as my heart longs to visit beautiful places, I recognize that the places of this world at their best are only an appetizer of the entree that is to come in the new Jerusalem. But he doesn't just call it holy, he calls it glorious as well. This city is glorious. And what makes it so glorious? It's the fact that God is in it. Uh, This city is the most beautiful city your eyes will ever see. You know, I feel for John having to use the accommodation of words to try to describe the indescribable. How do you describe the eternal city of God? Even the greatest poets and songwriters are brought to tears as they think about what this means for our hearts. And friends, why is it that we need a new Jerusalem? It's because of sin. It's because we have broken the law of God. And in breaking the law of God, we have wounded one another And in wounding one another, we have wounded ourselves. 
and as sin mounts up, there, there's a time when you look at sin and you say, this is so overwhelming, who can fix it? And how many thank God that Jesus can fix what we have broken. When our sin day feels so insurmountable, Jesus steps in. And this is what I want you to hear today, is that yes, he is coming to fix all things, but I also want you to know that you can get a taste of heaven today as you turn to him and say to him, Lord, here's the brokenness of my life. Father, Daddy, Please fix it. Well, he doesn't stop with the layout of the city, but he goes on to describe the light of the city. And I want you to look at verse 22. From verses 11 through 21, he gives us this mind-blowing description of the city. But in verse 22, he starts by telling us what's not in the city. Notice what he says in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And in verse 23, he says, And the city has no need for, uh, of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. What an interesting way of describing the city. John is not just feverishly writing down all that he saw in the city. He saw these gates and inscribed on the gates were the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. He saw the foundations of the city and inscribed on the walls and the foundations of the city were the 12 names of the apostles of the Lamb. And that's not just thrown in superfluously. He throws that in to help us to understand that there is no division in the people of God. There's not going to be the Old Testament saints over here and the New Testament saints over there. But in Christ, all of the family of God is brought together as one. There is but one means to salvation. And it's not hereditary or heritage or ethnicity. It is faith and trust in Christ alone that brings all people together. And there is this beautiful diversity of the city where all the nations come into the city. In Christ, there is no ethnic division. There is beautiful unity within this great city. But then, in the midst of pinning all that he saw, he pauses and he notices what he doesn't see. He says, there's no temple Maybe like our day, he was used to seeing houses of worship all around the city. Growing up, I lived in a city where there seemed to be a church on every corner. Then you add in mosques and you add in synagogues and you add in all these other faiths and their houses of worship. There's all these houses of worship. But he says, in this city, there will be no temple. And why is there not a need for a temple? It's because if you study the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the people of God gathered so that they can experience his presence. 
And in the temple, which was divided into thirds, the the outer court for the Gentiles, the inner court for the Jews, the holies of holies for this select few where the presence of God dwell. And only a select few over time could go into their holies of holies with their face covered, with their shoes off to experience the presence of God. But not so in this city because God dwells there. We are all invited in so that we can experience his presence unlimited and he will be with his people. We won't need to have temples anymore so we can get a taste of his presence. We will drink deeply from the cup of his presence because the lamb is there with us. And then he says, I notice there's no sun. I notice there's no moon, but this city is still lit up. It is radiant. And who is the lamp of the city? It is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Didn't he already tell us that he was the light of the world? And he says here, there was no need for a sun. There was no need for a moon because the radiance of the Son of God is going to light it up. It reminds me of uh, Matthew chapter 9 where uh, John the Baptist's disciples comes to Jesus' disciples and says, why don't your disciples fast? They, they notice they didn't fast. And uh, Jesus' response, how many remember this exchange in the scriptures? Jesus' response was this. He says, while the bridegroom is, is, is with the wedding party, there's no need for them to mourn because he's there. In other words, my disciples don't fast because I am present with them. There'll come a day when they will fast, when I won't be present with them. But when I am present with them, there's no need for fasting. There's only a need for rejoicing. And friends, this is that moment that moment that he promises that where I am, you will be with me also forever and ever and ever. But I love what comes next in verse number 24. It says, but it's, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So all the kings of the earth will come into this kingdom and they will bring their glory and it will be laid down at the feet of the lamb. He is the only great one in this city. Verse 25, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Now the gates can stay open with no fear of break-in because it has the greatest security system you've ever seen. There's an angel assigned at each gate. How many think that's a pretty good security system, right? There's an angel at each gate. So you don't have to worry about uh, armed robbers coming in or thieves coming in, not to this city. But I love the next verse, verse 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And I think about what is the glory of the nations and it's, it's all of the beautiful things that God has allowed to be created this side of heaven by his grace and his goodness working through humanity. Those things will not be destroyed. 
Think about the glory of, 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 of the nation, some of the, the art that we have seen, some of the, the great poetry and, and literature, the beauty and the greatness of these nations. All of these things are going to be brought into the eternal city of God. This should cause our minds to think about Genesis and the, the flood account that when God was judging the world, he didn't destroy it all, but no, he brought in what was to be preserved, what was good, he brought it in. And so it is. God is not going to waste the good things that he allowed to be created now. And this should cause our hearts to rejoice because maybe God is using you now to create good art or good music or poetry or song or whatever it may be, good meals and food and recipes, all these things are going to be brought into heaven and it's going to be renewed and it's going to be perfect and it's going to be for the bride, which is us. Man, I hope your heart is getting excited like mine is. I praise God that as great as the things on earth are, that there's something even greater that lays on the horizon. And if your heart is not getting excited, you should check your spiritual pulse and say, God, revive my heart for you. Help me to long for the eternal city more than I long for the cities of this world. How many have some vacation spots you would love to go to, right? Now, some of you, you vacation a lot and you say, I'm, I'm tired of it. I've, I've seen everything. But how many still have some cities you love to see, some sites you love to go to, right? Well, here's the thing. Praise God for that. But you need to add on to your list at the top of your list. Lord, I want to see that eternal city because how many believe with me that it is far greater than them all? And we should be praying, Lord, revive my heart for the eternal city. Well, he closes by talking about the life in the city. He goes from the layout to the light to the life of the city, and I want you to see what's happening in this city. It's life everywhere. Just like I just said, death is what marks this present world. Death and decay, life and renewal marks the world that is to come. And then he says in verse number one, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then he jumped down to verse number two. It says, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And friends, I just want to close with this. Here's the thing I want to ask you. As you read, as you listen to the description of the city, what is the most beautiful and pronounced part of the city to you? Maybe it's the gemstones, jasper. Maybe it is the streets of gold. I've never seen streets of gold. Maybe you have. I've never seen it. Can't wait to see it, right? Maybe as I read this to you, you say, man, I cannot wait to see that river whose water is clear like crystal. It causes me to think about like, man, what's the most beautiful body of water I've seen? And I've been to a lot of places, the Caribbean and other, other places, but I will tell you right here in Michigan, anybody ever been to Torch Lake before? And they have been to Torch Lake. Man, it is a beautiful place. I'm like, why did I spend all my money flying places? 
I could have just saved some money and just drove outside of Traverse City. And you see, it's like the blue is clear as water. You will see. And this is greater than that. And what's nice about this one is every drop of water you drink brings life and renewal to you. This is no polluted pond. This is the river of life. Or maybe you are enamored by this tree that is producing the most vibrant fruit you have ever seen or could ever imagine. Greater than any papayas or pineapples or any of these things, mangoes. You think of the most beautiful fruit you've ever seen. And this is greater by far, friends, and we get to eat from it. And I I think there may be a little bit of disappointment here because I think it's alluding to the fact that we'll be vegetarians. I'm not sure about all that, but I think that's what it's saying. And so eat well now. I'm sorry. But... But here's a look, I I digress, I digress. (laughs) And then there's these leaves, the greatest lettuce you've ever seen, greater than romaine, greater than iceberg. Each leaf is for the healing of the nations. It brings life into your body. But greater than all of it, greater than the gemstones, the gates of pearl, the streets of gold, greater than the river, greater than the trees, is the fact that God is there. And in the next verse, we read these words, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. and His servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Praise God that he is there. The prize of our salvation is God. The payoff of our faith is God. And we get a chance to experience eternity with him. And when he comes, he doesn't show up empty-handed. He brings with him peace and joy and love and life forevermore. And how many want to be in that city? Amen. I want to invite you to stand as our worship team comes to close us out. I want to ask you to search your heart and ask yourself, have you secured your your admission into that city? It doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from good works. It comes through faith in Christ alone. And if you have not yet, may you put your faith and trust in him today. And if we can pray with you, if today is the day of your salvation, you are saying, I need you, Jesus. Please don't leave this place. So I'll stop at the altar or, or the front or, or meeting us in the lobby. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation and that we would long to see the eternal city of God and that we would share this good news until all have heard, until Christ returns. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.